The little video that you saw just now is the making of a glorious sword for a general, for a captain, for a conqueror. Last week, we spoke about God had wanting us to, to, to be in the life of conquest. Every believer, we are called to a life of conquest. Why? Because that conquest will bring glory to God. You know what the Word of God says? Go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. It tells us that God wants to, uh, is the one who justifies us. And the purpose He wants to justify us is so that He can glorify us. If I'm going to title my sermon today, I'll call it Making You Glorious. Everybody say, Making You Glorious. Turn to your neighbor and say, Making You glorious. You say, Pastor, it's not true. God wants to make himself glorious. Well, you read this Bible here. It's telling us that he is the one who wants to make us glorious. Romans chapter 8 verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be both, he might be, not both, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Just hang on here a little bit. Now, Jesus come to earth as God to become man so that man can live like God. One reason why He came to earth is so that we can live like Him. We can do miracles like Him. We can become glorious like Him. Jesus, when He was about to be betrayed, He said, Father, glorify me. Glorify me that I may glorify you. And, and the, the voice from heaven said, I have glorified you and I'm going to glorify you again. And it's the prayer of Jesus not to glorify Himself but to glorify the Father. And the Word of God says that Jesus wasn't here to be a unique one. He was here to be what? The first among many. What does, it tell, what does it tell you when it says firstborn among many? It means that Jesus wasn't supposed to be the only one. Wasn't supposed to be one and only. In fact, he had called us to do greater things, to become more glorious. I'm going to show you why. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who justify, you also glorify. What, what the statement is saying, especially in the last two lines, is that it is only God who justifies. Nobody else can justify you and I. You can justify yourself. Your works cannot justify yourself. You can try with religion, try with rules, try with law. If you sit in this church for a while, you've heard this a million times, is that you can justify yourself. Not amount of work that you've done can justify yourself. Not amount of money that you can give can justify yourself. Not amount of good works that you can do can justify yourself, nor the church can justify you, nor people can qualify you. You know what the justify, the word justify actually means qualify also. Nobody can qualify you. No one can qualify you. You know why? Because none of them die for you. In verse chapter 33, who shall bring any charge or accuse, uh, uh, any charge or accusation against God's elect? You the God's elect. It is God who justify, who, who is to condemn. Nobody. And he went on later on. He says that only Jesus can justify. Why? Because he died for us. Next time when people try to accuse you, you know, or try to make you feel like you're not good enough, try to make you feel like you're not qualified, ask them the question, did you die for me? You know, the religious people tell you, you know, it's good that you're saved, you know, but you know, uh, in order for you to keep your salvation or keep your faith, keep your favor, you know, you need to read the word, you need to, you need to pray prayer, you need to do a lot of things, you know, give a lot of money, you know, and, and you know, uh, you know they, they put guilt trip on you. Then you ought to ask them the question, did you die for me? Because if you didn't die for me, you have no right to just, you can't justify me even if you try to. Therefore, you cannot condemn me. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, one who died. Here it is. Thank you. You guys are absolutely alert up there. Just awesome. Love you guys. 
So it is Jesus who justifies. There's nothing we can do. And I watch this. It is also then Jesus who can glorify you. You can't glorify yourself. You know, a lot of us trying to glorify ourselves. We try to promote ourselves. We try to do all that we can do to get all the attention from people, you know. We try to, you know, try, try to do all kinds of things, you know, just try to get attention so that we can get promoted. We do everything so that we can get promoted. We can get glorified, if you may. We work hard. We want to make a lot of money. To, so that we can get glorified. And some of the religious ones, they, they want to be holy, you know. They want to be super spiritual, you know. So that they could be noticed. That people will recognize them and therefore feeling glorified. And when they don't get recognized for a while, you know, they get upset. They say, how come they, nobody noticed me? But friends, let me tell you this. A sure thing, is, a sure thing to stay, to, to, to become glorious is to let God make you glorious rather than you making yourself glorious. Because when you make yourself glorious, it's ugly. People see it. It's pretentious. Are you here this morning? But when God glorifies you, when he gives you that grace, when you promote you, it will be awesome. It will be amazing. Now, the question is, why does God want to glorify you? Now, the word of God says he wants to glorify you. He wants to, he, he wants to make you glorious, in other words. Why does he want to make you glorious? Well, the reason is because, you know, he wants to glorify himself. You know, God wants you to become vessels of honor and glory so that he could be glorified. He wants you to succeed in everything you do. You know, when you have great marks in school, you know it's exam time now for some of the students in high school, right? And you know, God wants your marks to be amazing and fabulous. Why? Because he wants his name to be glorified. Can you imagine, you know, you, you go to school, you tell people you're Christians, you're born again, and you got zero? Praise the Lord, I got zero, I'm a Christian. Well, then I don't want to have nothing to do with you. I don't want to go to the church you go to, you know. God wants to glorify you so that he can be glorious himself. But only he can glorify, only he can justify. It's the same way that he's the only one that can justify us. He's the only one that can glorify us. Don't seek attention for yourself. Don't, 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 don't try to, just trying to get yourself glorious. In other words, God says Jesus was a perfect reflection of God in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He's a perfect reflection of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down. It's pretty interesting. It is actually a pretty universal statement. After making purification for sins, not only for Christians, just general sins. <sighs> he sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus was the radiance and the glory of God, the exact imprint. But do you know what? In 1 John chapter 4, 17, the word of God tells us this. By this love perfected with us, so that, we may be so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, he is the resurrected God, the resurrected Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, so are we, also are we in the world. We are supposed to reflect Jesus. 
not just a shadow of it, but we reflect Jesus. He wants you to become just like him so that you can glorify God. You know, verse 29, I mentioned earlier, I don't know if I mentioned it, you know, preached too many times. I mentioned earlier that Jesus was the firstborn, you know, so that we, 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 we can become just like him. Now, the question is, how does God make us glorious? How does he make us glorious? Now, there are many ways he makes us glorious, but I'm going to point out three things to you. Hopefully, you and I can, can pay attention to it. The first one is found in Psalm chapter 106, verse 20. You know, if you read the whole Psalm 106, you see that this psalmist, he is writing about uh, the history of Israel and the habit of the Israelis, the Israelites. And he was writing about the fact that God had brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and then redeemed them and gave them a land, you know, and then caused them to become uh, uh, possessing the promised land. But time and time again, the people of Israel tend to gravitate towards idol and gravitates towards sin. And so they will create idols to worship. And in the middle of describing that, he said this. They, the people of Israel, who is worshiping idol instead of God, exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Your glory and my glory comes in our worship to whatever we worship. So if you worship God, then you'll see that God is going to make you glorious with His glory. You become what you worship. I said that many times. You will become like what you worship. The, the Word of God says that they exchange their glory in some verses in some translation, they extend their own glory because they were worshiping God. They exchanged that glory for the glory of cows that eat grass. Many believers have exchanged what they cannot see, which is God, with what they can see. You know, we all worship something. I said it before. We all worship something, whether you like it or not. You may not call it worship, but it's worship, but you become what you worship. You know, we're talking about, you know, um, a lot of young men these days, they like to play basketball. They have, uh, they idolize the basketball players. And even more so now that Raptors, you know, they're about to become the next NBA Finals. Do you believe that? Amen. Can I hand that agreement? Hallelujah. You know, <laughs> you know the Raptors, you know. And so they're watching those basketball players. They're watching them to play basketball. They really admire them. And so before you know it, they're just like them. They wear the shoes, you know, buy those expensive basketball shoes, you know, a few hundred dollars. And they walk like that, you know, just like this, you know, swagger a little bit. Bit like the basketball player you know they may not even realize that they're acting like the basketball player or maybe they realize they admire them God wants you to be like him to look like him God wants you to worship him so that he can be, make you glorious now the difference between the glory that you get from worshiping other, pe other things in life, whether it's money, position, and politics, power, good looks, muscle, whatever. The difference between that and the difference between those that have the glory of God on them is that when people come in contact with you, if you have the glory of God on you, they become attracted not to you, but to God. 
You know, I've come to know many, listen to many pastors and preachers. You know, they're all amazing. I love amazing orator, amazing speakers, you know. But many of the pastors that I listen to, I mean, they're great. They're sincere. I'm sure they're sincere. But every time I, I listen to them, you know, that some of the pastors, you know, I, 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 I will be I'm paying attention to their shoes. Hey there. I'll be able to pay attention to the way they, 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 they dress, you know. I can't remember a word they say, but I remember how their logo, look at his muscle, you know. It's all buffed, you know, everything, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not judging them. They're saying that some, some pastors have this, I have this reaction. But there's some ministers of God that they may not even be that good. But when I walk away from listening to what they say, from interacting with them, my heart become more attracted to the presence of God. What kind of impact do you have on people when they interact with you? Because after they interact with you, are they now more attracted to the presence of God? Because that's what the glory of God is. When you worship God, when you give your life to worship God, He will make you glorious. And that glory of God that is on you is, is, it, it will attract people to the presence of God, will attract people to God. And that's why God wants to glorify you, not having yourself glorify yourself. Do people feel condemned after they have interaction with you? Do they feel like they need to make more money? Have you ever tried to run into those guys? You know, after you meet with them, it's like, oh, I, I need to go make more money. I pray this morning that as God make you glorious, you were full of His glory. And then when people are done interact with you every single time, They'll go, man, I just, I just want Jesus more. I need Jesus more. I, I want to forsake myself more. I want to serve God more. I pray that this is the desire of your heart. As opposed to people walk away and go, ooh, what an ugly guy. Or, ooh, what a handsome guy. You know, whatever, right? But that, oh, Lord, I pray that I will be more like you. I pray that I'll love you more, God. This is my prayer every day. God, when people finish interacting with me, I really pray that they want to love you more. They want to serve you more. They want to worship you more. So consequently, I want to worship God more. So that if I worship Him more, I become more like Him. I was reading a, a, a book recently. Somebody gave me a book of a really well-known preacher. And, and he wrote something that's really powerful that really touched my heart. You know, I always say, God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My heart wants to be tender to you. You know, I want to be more. I want to have more of you. And he said, you know, how, do you, how, how is it that you can become more of God? You, how can you be filled with more of God? And he said this one thing that's really interesting. He said, your heart needs to be soft to God. And harden to the world. Two things. Your heart needs to be soft towards God. Need to be tender towards God. And that it has to be hardened towards the world. He said, unfortunately, many Christians, our heart is actually kind of hardened towards God. His Holy Spirit move, 
we're not moving. His Holy Spirit is doing things, we're not moving. It's like, I shall not be, I shall not move. No, the preachers preach, you know, the word of God is going out. It doesn't do anything for them. They don't feel anything. They're like, whatever. And they see miracles, nothing, you know, nothing happened to them. They aren't excited, whatever. You know why? Because their heart is hardened towards God. You know why? Because they have paid most of their life attention towards anything but God. They watch the same movies that everybody is watching. They say the same thing, getting involved in things in life. They don't even have time for God during the week. They only have one and a half hours on Sunday to God and the rest of the world. How is it that you can have a tender heart towards God? It is very easy and very obvious. It's very consequential that your heart become hardened towards God. But then your heart is soft now to the world because you've been with the world all this time. How is it that we can, can expect that we can be worshiper of God, desire of God, when our heart is hardened towards Him? I want to tell you this, friends. If you want the glory of God on you, you want, to, you want to reveal the glory of God, you know, you want to allow Him to make you glorious, Him making you glorious. It is you and I, we need to make a priority, make an intentional priority, become intentional to worship God, to set time to spend with Him so that your heart can be tender towards Him so that as you worship Him, you become more like Him. Let your heart not be hardened towards God. Worship Him and allow His glory to make you who He wants you to make you. And that as a result of interacting with you, people will be attracted to God. The second one is what I call process. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, you know, the Bible says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, the, the video clip that you saw just now is this, this sword is being beat and being beat and being burned and beat and burned and beat so that it can become glorious, ultimately become the weapon to bring glory to the one who holds the sword. The sword cannot be glorious until it goes through the process. Many of us don't want the process, but I want to encourage you, lean into the process. Whatever the process is God is putting you through, lean into the process because it is necessary. And our part is not to do anything but to surrender to the process. Turn to your neighbor and say, surrender to the process. You and I need to surrender to the process. No matter how hard it is, we need to surrender to the process. It is the process that makes us glorious. Not our own process, but in submission to God's process. You know, David, King David, he was the most glorious king, but his debut in Israel was when he, was about, when he took down Goliath. And he was just a teenager at the time. And so at the time, Goliath challenged, Goliath was a big giant, you know, he challenged the, the army of Israel. He's saying, you pick the best guy to come and fight me. Because if you beat me, we'll be your servant. Me and all the rest of the uh, Philistines will be your servant. But if I beat you, you'll be my servant. It's amazing how some, you know, the people of Israel agreed to his term of battle. It goes to show you, you, don't, you and I do not need to agree with the Satan's terms of battle. 
We don't need to fight at his level, fight at his term. I'm always very surprised when I read the scripture, why is it that the people of Israel agreed to that term of battle? Because they don't hear from God. At the time, Saul already not hearing from God. God is not speaking to them. So they just, they just, they just, they just agree to whatever. They're not too sure. You don't need to agree to the terms of battle that the enemy had set. So if the enemy said you need to be this in order for you to be victorious, you, you, you can say, well, really? Really? I don't need to obey your terms to become victorious over you. The world says you need to be wealthy, you need to be educated, you need to be whatever for God to use you. That's their terms of battle. You allow the terms of God to set the, the terms of battle, not them. But anyway, so the whole Israel was trembling. And here comes the teenager, you know, David. He said, you know, I can go and take this, take this man down. Is that not, not a cause? How can this guy defy the army of the living God and the name of God? So he wanted to take down this Goliath. Now you got to remember, King Saul, if he was any smart, and he was, he wouldn't let any teenager just walk into the tent and just take on the battle because the whole nation's fate is hanging on this one person. And so King Saul asked, you know, what is it that qualified you to make you able to fight this, this big giant? And he said, your servant, David said, your servant has been a shepherd. And as a shepherd, you know, a lot of people don't know shepherd is not an easy job. A lot of people think shepherds just sitting around just looking sheep and playing iPads, you know. That's not the work of a shepherd. Shepherd has a hard work. Shepherd has to fend off enemies, robbers, and wild animals. That's what David used to do. And nobody wanted that job, so David got relegated to the job that nobody wanted. And so David was in the wilderness by himself, hidden. Nobody knows. Even his dad had forgotten about him. That's really bad. Have you ever been forgotten by your dad? And so he was there, away. And he said, you know, your servant... To tell King Saul, he said, I was a shepherd, and I was able to protect my sheep, and I killed both the bear and the lion with my bare hand. The very thing that threatened his life become the most important item on his resume. Do you know that the things that threaten you and perhaps even had tried to take your life would be something that you could stand on, the strength that you're going to have that you can use for your next victory. Whatever it is that the devil put you through, whatever the threatening attack may be coming your way that you feel threatened, whatever that you sense is something that will overwhelm and even kill you, that might be the very thing that will enable you to go to the next battle, to become glorious in the sight of God, to bring glory to God. Come on, praise the Lord. So David went through this process of training and training when nobody looked at him nobody go oh look at this amazing david you know but he was fighting alone in the desert it's not romantic it's not fancy it's not it's not glamorous it's just quiet if he had died nobody would have known and he was there fighting on his own and that was the very thing that caused him to become victorious the process now, interestingly enough, the Bible said David picked up five stones. Not just any five stones, five 
smooth stones. Now, if you're an engineer, you probably understand why that is the case, because it's making sure that the trajectory is accurate and smooth stone, you know, uh, you, can, you know you, can, you can aim properly. But you know, the five smooth stones did not become smooth by themselves. Do you know how stones become smooth? You can find smooth stones only in the water. Salt water or any water. Why? Because you need the water to beat you, beat, beat at the stone for millions and millions of times for a long period of time because, to make the stone from being a jagged stone to be a smooth stone. I can just imagine if the stone was alive that day, you know, he could talk, he could yell and scream. You know, he, when he was on his way to land on Goliath's forehead, He's thinking to himself, look at all the time I've been spent being beat up by the waves, being beat up by the water. Now I'm on my way to take down the most powerful enemy of Israel. I want to tell you this. God will never allow you to go through a process for no purpose. I'll say it again. God will not allow you to go through a process without purpose. The reason you're going through what you're going through is because there's a purpose of being glorious ahead of you. So just stay put and allow the process to just train you, to make you glorious. We like to run away from process. We complain. But I want to encourage you to lean into that process. Lean into it. Say, God, I thank you. I thank you. Praise God. And if you want to talk to the devil, I don't encourage you. But sometimes I do. I say, devil, is that all you can do? Come on, man. Is that all? Is that all? Is that all? Because I know that he cannot even touch a, a strand of my hair without the permission of God. So I can taunt him. Glory to God. Glory to God, right? But at the end of the day, it's allowing the process this is how God makes you glorious. How he makes you glorious. You know, we speak about pruning. We have been speaking about pruning, adversity, and all that. Those are statements. Those are words of encouragement to let you and I know that there is always a purpose for the process. is to make you and I glorious so that we can glorify his name. Come on, let's give praise to the Lord. <laughs> Last point. It's very important. You know, everything that we see, everything we do, everything we encounter as believers, as Christians, we need to look at all things that we encounter, all things that we face from a spiritual eyes. What I mean by that is that everything that we have to handle, everything that we have to overcome is spiritual. When you become born again believer, when, you become, when you've been called into the kingdom of God and to become a servant of God in the kingdom of God, everything that will come at you, everything that will happen to you will come from the spiritual dark forces of the world. It is in the spirit that you and I need to have victory before we become victorious and glorious in the physical world. You know, Paul the Apostle says that our warfare is not uh, uh, carnal, but it's mighty through God in pulling down stronghold. In First, Second Corinthians, chapter ten, verse four. For the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. You know, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and preach the gospel to change the world. But before he sent them, he said, you got to wait in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He said, you have to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Why is that important? I want you to let you know this. Whatever you think God had called you to do, whatever you think that God is putting you through now, or allowing you to go through the process, 
whatever it is, it's all spiritual. And then there's nothing, nothing you and I can do with our flesh. What that means is that you and I need the Holy Spirit more than anything else. You and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit more than anything else. It's not your skills, it's not your talents, and then your gifts, it's not your discipline, it's not your money, it's not your membership, it's not your holiness, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, many churches, have, many churches focus on different things. They say, oh, you know, if you really want to be blessed by the Lord, you, you know, you do this. Oh, if you really want to be blessed by the Lord, you do that. Oh, you know, you want to be used by God, you do this, you do that, and the other thing. You need to take this course, that course. I mean, they're all very good. They help you. But the most important thing is we and I need the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, everything is hollow. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can all have all the gifts in the world. You can have everything in the world, but without the Holy Spirit, everything is hollow. Our work is hollow. Our ministry is hollow. Our impact in lives is hollow. So you and I need the Holy Spirit. And I pray that this morning God would inspire you to say, Holy Spirit, I want you to come and fill me more. You may think that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I seem to fill you more. There's, you, know, you can never be overfilled by, by, by God. You, you, you need the Holy Spirit more and more every day. So I come out to here to preach, to preach the word of God. I'll tell you this every single time before I come up here, I will cry out to the Lord, Holy Spirit, my words are empty. My words are empty. I need you to come and fill me and use me. Every single day I wake up in the morning, I say, God, I need you. I need the Holy Spirit because I know that everything that will happen to me, everything that's going to happen to me, every battles I'm going to face, if I have the Holy Spirit, I'm sure of victory in Jesus' name. Come on, hallelujah. Your healing, your success, your favor, everything. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will guarantee yourself an amazing victory. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will be able to endure the pain more than anybody else. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will be able to withstand all the insults, all the attacks of the enemy. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will be able to sing, sing, sing praise unto God. Like, you know, like Paul the Apostle, you know, they have stocks, you know, over them. And they got beaten up, had chained up and thrown in a prison. They were still able to worship and praise God to the point that the chain will, bro- will, will fall off. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key for you and I to live in a victorious life. The Holy Spirit is the key for you and I to have the joy of the Lord all the time. The Holy Spirit is the key to everything about you and I as believers. So be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. Worship team, can you come?